Hi. Welcome to 10 CDs for a Penny, the show where we talk about mild music mags and culture and stuff in Jackson, Maine. This episode, we're talking about Spin Magazine, December 2008, with a cover story on MIA. This was MIA's big moment in time, and I'm a big MIA fan, so I'm excited to be talking about her and her career. If I couldn't have done this episode without including Kavita Gill, who's back with us and who not only considers MIA to be her Beyonce, but was probably the first person who told me that I had to listen to her. And also joining us in this conversation is Toronto-based musician Jesse Crow. So we're excited to have her on the podcast for the first time. But even more exciting in this issue, there's a feature on Vivian Girls. And the lead guitarist and singer Cassie Ramone joins me in conversation about her career in 2008 and the explosive year it was for her putting out their first record and touring America. I also love Cassie's name. Such a cool front person's name. And being from New York, it's so punk to be named Ramon. I also want to take this opportunity, because I haven't before, if you're out there listening, please subscribe to us on whatever platform you're using. And if you're on Apple Music and you like this pod, why not give us a five-star review? Because it's a wonderful thing to do. And share with your friends. I'm sure if you're into 90s and 2000s music and culture, Odds are your friends are too, so why not tell them to listen to us? Okay, enough pandering. How about you join us now as we enter the world? That was Spin Magazine, December 2008. I just noticed this this guy, Bo Burnham, who I never really knew, but he was a like kind of an early YouTube star who's in here. He directed that movie 8th Grade. Was it last year or two years ago? Oh, really? I thought it was, yeah, he became a director. He's this guy who was just like a YouTube kid who put songs online and like jokey songs. And yeah, he became a director. And I didn't even really know who he was until last year. Someone said like, oh, he's a YouTuber. But I didn't even, I didn't realize he was a YouTuber from like 2008 too. And he's obviously worked on his career. Like the formative years of YouTube. Exactly. Yeah. When people were just starting to figure out how to like be a YouTube star. But I really loved that movie, Eighth Grade. I thought it was really, really well done. I didn't really see well. it, but I'd love oh, to see it. I Maybe loved I'll just it. do that tonight. I don't know. Really well done. And the actress in it, Elsie Fisher, who's the star of the Grade Eight, she's going to be in a biopic of The Shags. The Shags? Yes. I don't even know anything about The Shags. Oh, the really? Shags? Okay, what, talk to us. Very okay, I'm going to very quickly, then we have to move on. The Shags were this these three sisters in the 60s and their dad wanted them to like be a pop group so he bought them instruments they had no idea how to play they wrote songs within maybe a week or two and then they recorded them they are so fucking bad like these people cannot yes. play or sing but then <laughs> they became like this like cult revolution and they are like almost like the like Daniel Johnston like incredible outsider music and Frank Zappa says like they're the greatest band of all time like this type of caliber people it it is it is like the dawn of punk like just like get the fuck out and do whatever you want and it's actually amazing it is tough to listen to these songs like you can't listen to this whole record but you listen to like one song you're like this is fucking bomb okay this is cool i'm into watching this i want to watch this when it comes out there's this article called is sampling dying and this yeah. is a really yeah. interesting point. Now, I, yeah. I have to say off the bat, I am no hip-hop aficionado, but hip-hop is so gigantic right now that, I mean, it's you know it can't be escaped. So I've obviously heard a lot, especially recently. And this article talks about how sampling is dying because pretty much just because of cost. 
So yeah. the the evolution of hip hop and the way it grew uh, through sampling through the 80s and 90s, everybody like it was built around that. Then it comes up to this point when everything like, you know, RZA is saying that he said he paid like $2,000 for a Gladys Knight sample. And he said now, uh, in, like at this point in 2008, it would be 10000 or even $20,000. The going rate is $10,000 for a sample. So everybody's ditching that. And then they're saying that it's going to a purely electronic production and synthesizers and drum machines, which is kind of back to where hip hop started, too, when I think about it. It was very simple production in the early 80s. But everybody's yeah. doing that simply because of the cost. And that's where we are right now. Everything like yeah, this was a exactly. major prediction, this article. <laughs> exactly. It's very interesting because kind of what I took from that article was that like, obviously the like sampling being too expensive uh it's just like another way of like i don't know just like squashing black music essentially mm-hmm. like it's like yeah. oh yeah you know what you guys are making a whole bunch of money off of off of samples we don't actually really like that so <laughs> there's no law here uh as to how much anyone can charge but we're going to charge people out the ass to mm-hmm. clear a sample mm-hmm. And that really only existed in hip hop. And the other mm-hmm. interesting thing I read in that article was that uh, Girl Talk, who had like 300 uncleared samples, mm-hmm. had never been like no one sued him. Wow, that's very, very interesting. Point. Yeah, like I'm like, oh, this classist, like classist and racist uh, angle on on sampling. Wow, like, yeah, costing a whole bunch of money. Right. And it's like, as we, you know, we, we've learned before, like the record industry has been very unkind to black artists you yeah, know what I mean? for a very long time. So it's like, I really don't have a problem with Gladys Knight or Freddie Prendergast or these people who probably didn't get their money before being like, that's mine. And totally. I, I want some money for that. Especially if your whole rap song is the hook the melody mm-hmm. like that like you're like yeah, okay that sure. is that is you're like okay fuck that that's a james brown song like sure yeah, for sure you know what totally. I mean? like totally you know, so I, I you know like so i i see where you're coming from like what is this like like you said like this white dude is like making samples he's just like oh, i'll just ask for forgiveness you know what i mean i won't right. ask for permission i'll ask for forgiveness yeah, where yeah, all yeah. of these other black artists are like fuck we better pay for this up front or we are fucked and we're gonna get sued we're the gonna ass. get Dude, and they're like, like more than this was worth right and they said clearly in the article half the money goes to the person who's the publisher the other half goes to the person who owns the masters mm-hmm. and i guarantee gladys knight probably doesn't own the masters. Masters. Yeah, you know what i mean like yeah. yeah hip-hop from the beginning right uh beginning was basically uh, of scratching has been based on samples right um and it's been integral in the formative years mm-hmm. so and that's what totally. added to its unique sound mm-hmm. right um, and it was so good because it got people excited in the club. They would hear a song that they knew yes. and then they would hear it transformed in a different way, in yes. an exciting different way. And they're like, fuck, I know this song. Let's dance. This is great. Right. And it's in- ingenious and inventive now. So people love a good cover. So it's, it's fun mm-hmm. and exciting to hear a hook of an old track and then, um, and then being experimented with. So I feel like hip hop, like sampling brings new life into old musicians and old artists and old songs it always happens where like you know like nina simone has been covered 
by like a hip hop artist and people are like, who's that? You know, like, especially mm-hmm. younger generations of people like, so Bob Dylan could come back if he gets hip hop really well, like he gets, sorry, sampled in a hip hop song really well. Really? No. You're right. That's a really good point because how many times, especially now that we have the internet at our fingertips, you hear a song and you can look it up and find out what that that sample is and then dive into that artist too. I've done that a lot, especially with like yeah, jazz musicians. <laughs> yeah. You know, one of the, one of the, my favorite sampled songs is uh, Regulate, mm-hmm. um, which is Michael McDonald's I Keep Forgetting. Oh, okay. Two incredibly hot jams. I keep oh, forgetting, awesome. not in love anymore. It was a clear black night, a smooth black era. Jeez, fun steps of this idea, smooth. On a whole new level. The rhythm of the bass is the bass is the treble. I, that oh, was that was Please. so good, Jesse. That was wonderful. That was fun. Thank you for oh, that. You, there. you took me there. Yeah. That's going anyway, at the top this... of the podcast. That's going to be the intro. <laughs> top top moment of sampling fame, right? That, <laughs> right? that was like the, as the, yeah. A sample of a sample. I'm into it. So I need a reminder, though. Uh, to come back to the magazine was was it girl talk who did the like song on a song on a song on a song on a song thing uh that them? yes it was the height of mashup like putting i don't think you're ready for this jelly on top of smells like teen spirit like that kind of thing oh, <laughs> yes i don't want to admit but i thought that was all so sick oh yeah i really loved it i, I thought it was so really much. fucking awesome music I loved it. That was like that. That was the uh, punk covers of the 2000s, like in the 90s when you wanted to hear No Effects uh, and like Me First, The Gimme Gimmies do Somewhere Over the Rainbow, and you thought it was so interesting and funny. This punk band fucking up something like that. That was that was this. (laughs) Mashups were that. So Yeah. yeah. So Girl Talk was that, and then there's a lot of other examples under here of like the first one they they reference is Paul's Boutique, which is the yeah. Dust Brothers, which is just a 100% sampled oh, album. Sure. Those guys yeah. were in litigation. I think they're still in court today. No. <laughs> like, there's like a hundred, no. over a hundred samples on that. that they barely so cleared. Yeah. Um, well, yeah. The big one is uh, the, the Bismarcky one that kind of started the whole, they, they mentioned in the yeah, article yeah. that he was just like, oh, I'm just doing what everyone else is doing. And then the judge cited what the, the the bible the ten commandments thou shalt not steal. oh my god thou shall no not steal that's it nothing else no precedent no precedent before it he just cited the bible and it's like you shouldn't steal from people and that's that's how it went don't anger the lord Kavita. don't anger the lord jackson okay rizza who i've his his last line in this kills me because he's like talking about how no one's sampling anymore because it's so expensive that's real that's understandable and he's like the music, so basically they talk about Kanye's album and I listened to it and it is, it's like all auto-tuned and very like emotional and atmospheric and very layered and very electronic, which you think I would like it, but I wasn't so crazy about it. And he called it, this is a real soggy ass form of music. <laughs> I couldn't agree more because the sampling is what makes it exciting. Like we just talked about mashups and we were all like, oh, giddy and excited about these things. So I do think that they're, you know, they were saying that they're, there could be a possible like tiered system, like kind of like an ABC, if you will, like in terms of like the song's popularity, the sample length and how, how prevalent is it in the song? Do you know what I mean? Like, for example, like James Brown 
you know, and if you have enough bars to know like the hook or the melody, you know, and making it like easily recognizable and you constantly use it to make it like the backbone of your song, then yeah, I think you should be spending a lot of money on that sample. But then if you're doing like an obscure French, you know, yeah, yeah, band like Les Surf or something where you sample just like a vocal, you know, a line or a melody or a hit or something just to like accentuate like your song and like no, like very few people are going to recognize that. Like maybe that's a different tier of it. Like if you're going to go nuts with the James, basically your whole song is basically you've just like done a cover essentially of a James Brown song, then you should be paying that, that estate a lot of money. But it's like, if you're just using one little bit of a song, it's like adding to your song, but it's not like the whole song. Like it's like a tiered system. RZA also makes a, like a point in this record, in this article as well, uh, saying that he was, you know, more like a unionized type of system where there should be just a, uh, a flat rate for everything or, yeah. or maybe like, again, like a tiered system, like you're talking about. This is just how capitalism works pretty much mm-hmm. where they're talking totally. about in this, yeah. that, that they've raised all the prices so that small artists can't do it anymore. So literally exactly. the art of hip hop isn't happening anymore, except for people who are rich like Kanye mm-hmm. and Jay Z. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But then he also makes a point in this that he's actually, he said he sampled that Gladys Knight song for 2000 and he said she probably made about 50000 from publishing on that. So exactly. with that small exactly. investment, he got to make his music and make money off of it. And Gladys Knight also got to do it. But it's not going to happen anymore if you can't afford it. So this cyclical system <laughs> is, is just be getting cut down. We can look at an artist like Backwash right now, for instance, mm-hmm. who won the Polaris who is a trans black artist from Montreal Mm -hmm. who used samples without having any fucking money. Mm -hmm. So her record can't come out seemingly. So she's using her Polaris money to pay for the samples so that she can put her record out. Oh, wow. Yeah, because that record got so much traction before anything was cleared. She can't make any money off of it yet. Oh, I didn't know that. That I mean, I'm probably missing a lot of uh, a lot of key information in there, but that's like, to my understanding, what has gone on is like, you know, a, essentially a uh, a well loved local bedroom project caught amazing traction because the person is a phenomenal artist who's making really good music, but yeah, is, is doing sample based music Mm -hmm. and it almost caught too much fire. So now it can't go under the radar. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's not like she has fucking thousands and thousands of dollars or someone to pay for these, uh, for her. So yeah. Well, she does now. (laughs) Yeah. Totally. Is the Polaris prize 50 grand? Is it $50,000? And like one of these samples costs 20 grand. Like, yeah, they don't, they're like, I'm I'm with you like yeah if one of the samples costs 20 grand then then she might be fucked but also at this point the her amount of popularity probably means someone has picked up and is going to start doing that for her. Yeah, that's yeah. right. That's right. That's right. That's right. So if we turn the page uh this is what the spin always does. They like to uh keep check and tell you who the cool new bands are and this month it's the Vivian Girls. Uh, Vivian Girls, this would have been right when they came out, obviously, because they're just telling us to check them out. Three girls uh, from Brooklyn, 
and yeah like really super lo-fi sound just really beautiful stuff again like we're talking about like there's always kind of like these like helixes and waves in music and when things get like too over bloated and huge like you have to like strip it all down again and that's exactly what they did yeah i uh yeah no i just remember like i remember vivian girls it was like vivian girls crystal stilts um crocodiles dum-dum girls dum-dum girls and then <sighs> waves yep um and that all led into Best Coast. like your dives and your yeah capture tracks record stuff yeah yeah and, for sure um oh my god it was such a scene and it was really very much like this if you're like underground and cool like this is what you're listening to you're listening sure. to stuff that sounds like like really fast surfy jesus and mary chain meets girl group stuff good call and uh I was in kind of this weird shoegazy band at the time called Heaven. And like, I just remember being like, oh, you know, like, is this what cool is? Like, I don't know if we're ever going to be cool. Like, fuck, you know, um, whew, it was uh, but, what a time to be alive, really. Well, yeah. And I mean, I think that bands like this, like Vivian Girls, where they're like a very, very stripped down band, um, practically no effects and just like very lo-fi i feel like the every five to ten years like this band has to occur because I then agree. it teaches a bunch of young people like this is like you don't have to be Jimi hendrix you don't have to be whatever was happening at that time the strokes or something like that you don't have to be this super like aficionado guitar band like you can just strip it down and have fun and just like write yeah. quick songs and like just get on stage and just get on the road and you have to have that band to always lift up that scene. And I think when I actually looked at this, like all those bands you just mentioned, these these girls were really at the forefront. Like in 2008 of this this whole scene that, that was about to happen and where you were saying like Captured Tracks and uh, yeah, like Dive and those bands that came after, like all Brooklyn bands, they were really at the forefront of this. Very much were at like, at like the beginning of that big like, tidal wave of lo-fi that was coming in yeah and you know brooklyn had been so prolific in the 2000s and when you you look at that time like you know this was like the early 2000s and then you know right when you'd think that like that scene should be done like there's so many uh scenes throughout music history that just have like the very short moment like even grunge in seattle was you know like like in popularity maybe like four years brooklyn yeah. had like a a solid 15 years of like just producing just bands like out scenes. yeah so i mean and this was just another one of those like important scenes that came out of brooklyn you kind of never wanted to hear the name brooklyn again but then cool stuff just kept coming out of it <laughs> it's really 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 true i remember going to new york for the first time in 2007 and being like oh my god this is the coolest city ever. There's so much going on. And going to like Miss Shapes, you know, the like Miss Shapes bar, which was the bar where they took your picture when you went and there's like a book about it and whatever. Oh, okay. And there was like a free Andrew WK show going on <laughs> in the bar at that, at that time. Oh my God. And like that was right at the beginning of like sliding into the weird out of the dance punk into the lo-fi like right at that like tipping point but brooklyn never stopped being cool in between that it like it just kind of like went like 
and we did this and now we do this next thing. And then after that, we're going to do something else. I promise, you know, like it just never stops. So I reached out to Cassie Ramon, the lead guitarist and singer of Vivian Girls, and she agreed to get interviewed on the podcast about this time in her career specifically. So let's go to that now. Well, Cassie, thank you so much for speaking with me today. This is really a, a big honor. And you were featured in this magazine in December 2008, Spin Magazine. And you started, if I'm not wrong, you started Vivian Girls in 2007. And by 2008, you had put out a record on In the Red. And now you're getting featured in Spin Magazine. That's a pretty rare accomplishment uh, for that to happen so fast. How did it happen so fast? Um, it was really weird, actually. Like, I think that, yeah, we started in, Mar in March 2007. Um, I was only 20 years old when we started, which is so crazy to think about. Um, and the spin article came out when I was like 22. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, that's kind of crazy. Basically, we just worked really hard. We like, we practiced all the time. We, we like played as many shows as possible. Todd P, this promoter from Brooklyn, he really helped us and he kept putting us on like these really good shows around like New York. Mm -hmm. And um, I don't know. I mean, I guess people like really liked us locally and word spread and there were all these blogs. Um, and then we went on our first full U.S. tour in like like June of 2008. Mm -hmm. And like by the time that we got back to New York, it was just like night and day. Like like by the time we got back home, like everybody had heard of us and it was pretty crazy. And um, yeah, I don't know. I'm not I don't I can't really like I don't really know why it happened so fast, but it was very surreal. It was like it was like the craziest feeling. Mm -hmm. And I even read that, you know, at that time before you even had a deal, you were starting to play with bands like Sonic Youth and things like that. How was, how was that happening? Our, we just, our booking agent, um, our booking agent just worked really hard for us. Um, yeah, we got a booking agent like right after uh, we got back off of our first full, full U.S. tour because mm -hmm. at that point things were really starting to heat up and we couldn't do everything ourselves anymore. So yeah, it was our booking agent that got us on that bill, but we were like, it was like one of the best days of my life. Like I love Sonic Youth and um kind of like surreal like we were backstage before the show and Thurston Moore was around and he was like oh yeah I have your seven inch and we were all like what like it was <laughs> it was so crazy because he was like one of my heroes when I was like a teenager yeah of course oh that's amazing and so at that time this is the time when all eyes in the world were on Brooklyn and the Brooklyn music scene and so what was it like at that time in 2008 this was when it was at its peak and you guys were a popular band and what was it like playing and what was the scene like and what was the DIY scene like actually would I really like to know it was awesome it was such a great time like we were all we were all friends and we we're all like really supportive of each other and um yeah it was like like I haven't really felt like that much of a like a solid community within like the music scene since then honestly there's there's still like a lot of good bands and stuff like ever since but like a ton of like a hundred friends all playing music and like supporting each other and hanging out. And, um, you know, there, there was like always like cool new, like loft spaces and warehouses. And like a lot of it was totally illegal, mm -hmm. but it like, it was like the wild west of like Brooklyn or whatever. And, you know, since then there've been all these like shutdowns from like the cops or whatever. And, um, 
So now everything has to be kind of done by the books, mm-hmm. more or less, yeah, yeah. as far as I know, because I'm old and I don't know. Um, I don't know what the, like the twenty year olds are doing right now, but uh, but in my in my group, it's just like everything has to be completely by the books. And um, I miss I just miss the aspect of um, just like a, a new warehouse every other week. It was it was pretty special. No, that's a really special time. And I mean, I think that's the best way to see bands and experience them is when there is this kind of lawless uh, nature to it. So you're not in a, you know, a controlled environment, uh, paying cover, like at a door with a bouncer, you're kind of just with your friends playing. So no, that is incredibly special. Yeah, that's exactly what it was like. It was great. And during that time, so there's a couple of things I wanted to ask. I, I read once and I couldn't find this exact quote or uh, article, but I remember around this time, probably 2008 or so, you guys played South by Southwest. And I remember reading something that you played around like 15 shows within a week of South by Southwest. Oh, no, we played like 18 shows in like five days. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, so it's like even crazier than that. (laughs) What was that like? What was happening? It was so stressful. It was like we really just overdid it. there were some really good ones and then there were some really bad ones, obviously. Like we were always like rushing from place to place and like didn't have any real time to like just hang out and like chill. Mm-hmm. Um I mean, I I I have no re- no regrets because it was so wild, but um would never do that again. <laughs> <laughs> so you went on this huge US tour and then right after you started touring the world. And mm-hmm. so what was that like? You know, like, I mean, this all happened for you incredibly fast. And then all of a sudden you're in Europe and then you're in places like Japan. How was that? Oh my God. I mean, I still kind of have like PTSD from it, honestly. It's like, (laughs) it was just like, I was like so young and like being thrust into like all these like new places and stuff. It was so, it was like really cool, but um, it was definitely a lot for me. Like, like a lot of like sensory overload and, like having to deal with like a million new cultures, like rapid fire, mm-hmm. you know, no, of course. Um, like I, like I'd, I'd, I'd been to Europe before um, with my, like with my family, but um, only to the UK and um, Poland. So like going to like France and then Spain and then Germany and all these places like rapid fire, it was just really, it was awesome, but it was super over, overwhelming too. Mm-hmm. What was the reception to the band in Japan? So great. Um, yeah, I feel like um, I've been, I've toured Japan three times now, um, twice with, with Vivian Girls and one time a solo. And I feel like Japanese crowds are among the most amazing fans mm-hmm. um, that we, that I've experienced. They're like, they're like super, they're like just like super genuinely excited and like, they're, they like don't pretend to be too cool, like like in America, for example. <laughs> of course. What was one of the most special things that happened in two thousand eight? Like, what was your big memory? That was a huge year for you. Well, the Sonic Youth show was definitely up there. Ariel Pink, who I was like already a huge fan of Ariel Pink, he like emailed us and he was like, "I love your music. Let's tour," oh, and that was like pretty special. Oh my god! Um, because I was like such a big fan of his music. Mm-hmm. And the fact that he like he reached out to us first mm-hmm. was pretty great. Um, and then we ended up touring with with him and his band um, like in early two thousand nine. So that was that was pretty awesome. Um, um, on the negative side, we had a stalker. Oh wow! That, that stood out. That stands out too. He would send us like really creepy poetry over email. Oh. And um, 
and then he like he like he like was the, such a creepy weird stalker and like he came to our shows in chicago and it was like scary oh like God. we had like security like look like keep an eye on him and stuff like that so yeah that's that's the good and then the bad okay <laughs> what was touring with uh, ariel pink like it was one of my favorite tours that we've ever done um yeah yeah he he's he's great and like all of his band is really was really awesome too and um we toured through the southwest so you know we like went to a, went to like a, like strip clubs in new orleans and then like we just like hung out in the desert and like you know like motel swimming pools it was just like really really fun it was like like one big happy family oh that's amazing yeah i also saw you with the black lips and they're a pretty wild band what was touring like with them yeah that's funny we've we've toured with them like uh like a bunch of times um it was like the same thing family family vibes they are they're pretty wild but you know <laughs> like you know we were like they're like like little sisters or something like that like the, like the like the good like the the good girls with the bad boys so, like that kind of vibe okay um but yeah all those tours were like super fun too Sweet. like we toured japan with the black lips and that was really wild nice yeah were you guys mild-mannered were you not crazy tour people <laughs> no no we were definitely crazy too um <laughs> um but like you know compared to a lot, a lot of other bands we were kind of tame um i i, I guess i guess you know mm-hmm. i mean we were like super young and like yeah so we were def- definitely like 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 green inexperienced and um so in that sense, like we weren't, we weren't like used to that level of partying. Okay. I understand. Yeah. But you learned quickly. <laughs> oh, definitely. Yeah. I'm well versed in it now. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> right on. Um, I wanted to ask you, so this, uh, the photo that's in spin, do you remember this uh, photo shoot? Not particularly. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, there were like okay. a lot of photo shoots. I mean, I like obviously remember the photo i like it's it's one of my favorite photos of us but i, I don't remember remember the shoot at all okay now I, but noticed... I was like i was I, I remember like wow i look really glamorous that's crazy because <laughs> i'm like not glamorous at all i wanted to ask you about that it actually lists what you guys are wearing and from what brands uh so i don't know if that was something that spin did that they had to deal with american apparel to uh you know get ad content Oh, weird. Yeah. <laughs> I don't remember that. <laughs> right there, yeah. Uh, but I, I wanted to ask, I noticed that uh, on your Instagram, maybe last week you kind of had a post about uh, starting to not wear as much makeup anymore. And I noticed in this uh, article you are. So I wanted to talk to you about, you know, your perception of image from from then to now. Um. Well, I'm not going to lie. It, it is. It did look fun being kind of glamorous like that. And I've like, I've like never really been a big makeup person, but I used to wear more of it. I like, I don't even like, I only wear eyeliner like maybe like twice a month now, but I used to, I used to just like wear eyeliner, eyeliner and lipstick, but you know, I mean, I've just been weaning myself off of it because um, it's kind of, it's kind of like a waste of money. And it's like, I think it's like pretty powerful to like find value in the way you look like without anything on your face, you know? But like that being said, like I think like it is fun like looking glamorous sometimes too. So I don't I'm not I don't hate on like my look in that photo at all. Yeah. It's an excellent photo. It really stands out. Thank you. Thank you. I like it. (laughs) (laughs) And what are you working on currently? Um I've been 
Well, I mean, this year has been weird, um, obviously. Absolutely. So I'm like, I'm like trying to work on like a new solo album, but I haven't done it yet. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been working on like art, I guess. Like I have like some like really weird like sculpture ideas, which is kind of a new territory for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but hopefully, I'll be able to do that soon. I've just been like collecting like pieces for my sculptures, and. Um, I, I try. I, like I attempted to write a novel over the summer, but like that, what fell flat. Okay. Um, it's like it's always kind of been like one of my goals to write a novel because I think it's like I view writing a good novel as the hardest form of um, the most difficult form of art that one can do by themselves. Whereas I think making a movie is the most difficult that one does with other people because it's like, you have to like fabricate the story and everything like all from your mind and then like write it down in a really cohesive and good way. I think it's probably, it's like, seems so hard to me, but I really want to do it someday. And then, yeah, I like got my own apartment for the first time um, over the summer. So I've just kind of been working on like making my apartment look nicer. Wonderful. And is there any plans for future Vivian girl projects? Um, I'm not sure um, because we all live in different places now. Um, I'm back in Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. Allie's still in California and Katie's um, in New Jersey. Mm-hmm. So, um, and I also like, it's it's really unclear like when playing live is going to happen again. So I feel like this is the kind of situation where like we don't know because live music has been especially impacted by coronavirus and it's it's just it's just everything's so uncertain that i i feel like it's going to take years before we cross that bridge probably honestly yeah. well cassie thank you so much for giving me your time and uh and talking with me about uh this this uh this time in your career thank you so much of course and uh yeah good luck and uh i'll talk to you soon okay great <laughs> okay. bye thank bye. you bye bye thank you All right, friends, if we turn to page 57, we're going to come to the feature article and the cover story of this magazine, which is on MIA, December 2008 MIA. I hadn't listened to MIA until the previous year, till 2007. She obviously had a huge record in 2005, huge in the fact that like it was, you know, had a lot of accolades and had, you know, was on best of lists everywhere. I think it was Exclaim's uh, album album and probably artist of the year that year this is when mia really took off and even you know at this point this was been like the end of her big year which is actually a pretty great time to do an interview because mm-hmm. she would have put out her record Kala, which they're obviously talking about here in 2007 she had singles off of it but obviously we know the biggest one was paper planes which wasn't even a planned single i'm pretty sure uh, they talk about it in here that it got featured in the commercial for Pineapple Express, but that's what really launched her. So this was would have been February of 2008. That happened. That hit the radio. All of a sudden, everybody knew her, and then she had this incredible year after that. And now we're into this article, getting in, like interviewing MIA. What were a your pregnant MIA, a pregnant dad. MIA? She's looking fantastic here. Like this is her whole photo shoot is her pregnant as well. I think one of the well, greatest way. things I ever saw was her at the Grammys pregnant. That was her due date when she was on stage with Jay-Z. Yeah. She was, it wow. was her due date. Yeah. Yes. That's she incredible. could have dropped a kid on stage, which would have been so epic. 
her aesthetic in this entire thing is so incredibly timeless yeah. uh, and like really, really fun. And definitely a lot of it is very uh, back now, I will say, like the mm-hmm. green lipstick and stuff like that. Like, right. Uh, very, very, very much a a now vibe or maybe a vibe that just, yeah, never stopped being a now vibe. Well, I mean, uh, a lot to say about this. Lo- like, oh my God, lots to say. But in the article, they said it was like, you know, a mix between like Malcolm McLaren and Basquiat. Mm-hmm. And, and they said something like, on anyone else, it would make you nauseous. Yeah, <laughs> but like, not on her. And like, coming from like, coming from Malaysia, where we have a huge, huge Tamil diaspora, it's like, it's all about the bright colors. It's yeah, all about the yeah. sparkle. It's all about the vibrancy. Do you know what I mean? Because these gorgeous, like our darker, like skin tones, it looks amazing to let these colors pop. And like, she plays with it. And like, she's a grad from Central St. Martin's. You know what I mean? That is like the best design school in England. Like, I even wrote down some of the the people who graduated from there just to give you the idea. It's like Alexander McQueen, John Galliano, Stella McCartney, uh, Zach. Uh, sorry, Zach Posen. Jarvis Cocker, PJ Harvey, Anita Pallenberg, Pierce Brosnan, Sade, John Hurt, Tom Hardy. Like crazy. It's also in a pulp song. It's in Common People. You got it. Yeah. You know, like it's like where you go if you're uh, a rich kid who wants to go to art school. Except she wasn't. Well, I know. She's the common people. She's literally the common people. Like him. Yeah, he was the exactly. common person at like Jarvis Cocker was the common person. Yeah, so it's Martin. such an I interesting see. thing, like, uh, uh, yeah, being the being <laughs> being the Jarvis Cocker of the <laughs> song, common people, instead of being the rich guy. I wanted to say about MIA, MIA style, and then obviously she's a design student. She's put together her entire style, you know, of dress. Oh. Uh, she's like no one else. So when you've completely fabricated your own style, it's going to be timeless. And the first time I ever saw her, I saw her at V-Fest. And I'm going to post a picture of this because I have pictures from this day. And she was wearing like a black t-shirt and leather shorts. And like, I can't even describe it. Like like a, a, a one piece bathing suit that like went over it. And I, I, I immediately, it was like this, you don't know what you want to say about it. You want to say that's awful, but you also want to say this girl is pulling it off so well. I I'm completely caught in the middle. (laughs) Yeah. You're like, I'm hot for this, but also why are you wearing a bathing suit over your clothes? You absolute freak. (laughs) For the record, Jackson is absolutely hot for this. I've heard this for our entire friendship, Uh, but failing past this. Uh, I remember going to a party after this exact show and seeing my friend Anita, another Punjabi, and I said, I just saw MIA. And the first thing Anita said was, what was she wearing? (laughs) And then I went in and it was just like, I had just given her the most delicious dessert that she could not stop uh, gorging on. Every detail was like, and, and her hair, and her lipstick, and her, and I'm like this, and this, and this, and this. And she's like, oh. So we're living for her, man. She was a big, a big thing for us weird Indian girls out there. That's awesome. Yeah, she dope. She dope as fuck. 
this is a little off topic. Did you guys watch her documentary yes. by any chance? Yes. I did not. When it came out at Hot Docs, I highly, highly recommend. Okay, so just to preface everything about this, I'm really holding my tongue back because as a friend once said to me, uh, MIA is my Beyonce. So, uh, <laughs> so I know a lot. So I'm just going to like tamp it down. But in, in the documentary, if you guys remember, remember she was at the Super Bowl with Madonna mm -hmm. and with Nicki Minaj because Madonna invited them to come, I think because they were both brown girls with M names and they did the whole like cheerleader, you know, gods of Olympus fucking, I highly recommend you YouTube it. It is quite a show. It's quite a fucking show. Mm -hmm. But you guys will remember this because MIA gave the finger, yeah. right? And in the documentary, you see a scene afterwards where she is now like, it's behind stage and now the LF the NFL bigwigs are pissed and they're mad and they're like, we need to talk to you. And so they have like, you know, these two and you see like a camera, like her friend is filming it, like these two conversations. And then this, this Bronfman, Benjamin turns to her and he's like, you know, babe, why did you do that? Like, and she's like, I wrote a song called Sad Girls. <laughs> That's who I am. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's like, like, you're not, like, you're not getting, no one is getting this. Yeah, MIA is not playing a part. That's MIA right. is MIA. MIA is MIA, and like, and that's the thing. Like, you know, I think of the Honda ad that like a lot of people refer to about her selling it. I think about her with the bench. She's like, I know I'm gonna get flack for this. Yeah, you know what I mean. And like, it's like, you know, it's really tough being like a BIPOC person, and it's like I can't imagine being like a woman of color in the spotlight because it's like, fuck, you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. Like. Yeah, so I feel like a lot of her choices end up being like, oh, fuck it. I'll just do it. And that, that's a really good point. And I also think that, I, okay, I think that MIA is more punk than most punk people. Anybody who's calling themselves a punk in a punk band, I think she is way more punk than that. She is a person, kind of like we discussed earlier, who was an artist who had a bunch of different facets didn't really have, I think she had more of a clear path to be a filmmaker or in fashion. She ended up accidentally pretty much making a song, putting it online, everything snowballed from there. She got a huge music career. So she ended up being a, a musician, which I never think she thought she was going to be in. And she's in that small echelon of people like, you know, Kurt Cobain or something like that, who, thought they were going to be something else, maybe thought they were going to be smaller and then exploded and never thought it was going to be like that. And there's a quote in here where she says, in the beginning, I thought if your song was in a commercial, that's selling out. But if someone working at a nursing home in Wyoming can hear me, that's actually good because, well, I was heard. It's not a war between the mainstream and underground to me anymore. It's about polluting the mainstream or hacking into it. I was like, that is fucking punk. Yeah. Yeah. I bet a lot of people think that MIA is a one-hit wonder, too. I bet they never followed her career. And this is a person who's done whatever they want and also now have the money to just, like, release a record whenever you want, release films, release, you know, do fashion design. Can do... You have the freedom to do that. And I wanted to say about that... that Super Bowl performance, when she gives the finger, I'm just... I, all I was thinking was, she's probably just like, when am I going to be here again? Like, I've got this opportunity and I'm just like fucking around. And they tried to sue her and they tried to all these things that like never came to fruition. But I was like, what the fuck does she care? She's just having a great time. And I mean, there's a lot of people, there's probably Madonna on there who's like very concerned with her career. I don't think MIA is that concerned with her career. She's already made it. Now she just gets to do what she wants. 
Yeah. And that's what she said. She even says in the article, she's like, you know, for a while there, I thought I'd go back to school. I'd go back to college for a little bit, maybe make a film, maybe do something else, you know? Like, that sounds to me like an, like a, an artist, like an all-rounder who is just like, you know, if this doesn't work out, I'll figure something else, right? But then music draws her back in. And also the fame, you know, I'm sure that's quite attractive as yeah. well. Yeah, I yeah, music draws her back in, but also knowing that now she has this insane safety net that she can literally do whatever she wants. 100%. Mm -hmm. Under yeah. this, in this umbrella. Because it's like, before she made any music, it's like, you know, she's very well known. Like, she became friends like she or like one of the first concerts she ever went to was an elastica concert right and her, her her friends got in backstage and met justine and the gang they're like you're pretty cool and they're like cool who are you they're like we're the band who is just on you know what i mean and it was <laughs> like and then they got to know them and like then she ended up becoming like kind of the sidekick yeah, Not she was their videographer. The documentary. I don't want to say anymore, but it's like yeah, yeah, that was yeah. a big in for her. And she got to tour and go check out shit and be artistic and film stuff. And like, and she grew up kind of in that, in that realm. And then, you know, in, if you watch the Galang video, she does all of those wonderful stencils and that work. It's like, she was selling that work for like Jude Law and oh, like wow, really? famous English artists before she became Amazing. the MIA that, yeah, that we know now. So it's like, she's been just doing her own fucking thing yeah for a she's while been and crushing like, it yeah and she's just like you know some people are just fucking cool they just yeah. lose charisma and charm and like cool and she just happens to be one of these very i would say very special people mm -hmm. on this earth who have this wonderful perspective and this artistic eye that like whatever they do they go for it and like not a lot of people are gonna get it like you know the fact that like some articles i've read they're like oh her unintelligible words and singing i'm like uh she is speaking uh in <laughs> slang and she also is using words from another language that's not unintelligible have you like, people listen to rap I mean? music like whoa 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 it's like oh you know her you're oh yeah i like that girl but her her last album was more dancey and then she started self-doubting herself i was like i got her album i got kala i thought it was incredible and amazing and showed like this such global perspective and but whatever like she's not for the mainstream you know yeah, yeah, yeah. Even though she broke through to the mainstream, that does not mean she plays to the mainstream, which yeah. is exactly. like a very different thing. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, like I think like Paper Planes, I can't stand that song. Like I can't hear it anymore. Yeah, like, oh, really? it's, it's like, I feel like Damon Albarn with like song two, he's like, I wish I never made it. He's like, I fucking can't stand that song. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? I have no idea how she feels about it. But yeah, it's like it got her through. But like, yeah, there's so much better stuff. Well, think about we, we all know. writing that song. And then having a whole bunch of people not know any of the real lyrics or any of the context. And then just seeing like a bunch of white people in a club making the like gun symbol in, <laughs> in the air during the like ch -ch 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 part and then being like, oh, I wish I never wrote this. Obviously, leading up to this, listen to that record. I listened to it a couple Same. times this week. And, you know, it's funny you say that you hate that song. I mean, I mean, everybody has like a, a certain dislike for it now, just because it was overplayed. I listen, right. that, I listen to that whole record. Number one, that song is the second last song. So she really like chucked it in deep into there, even though I think that is a very, very strong album. I think every song is good, oh. which is very rare. It's so good. However, I think that's the strong, like when I really listened to that record, I think that was the strongest song on the record. Oh, it was really, really God. well done. It's, yeah, I it's mean, a good song. It, it, for for a, in a commercial standpoint, 
because there's a there is a lot of like unintelligible stuff on songs. There's kind of some a little a, things that are a little messier, like maybe not as palatable for like radio play. When I listen to that song, like how well it's produced. I'm thinking like why was this like the second last song on the record like she she really put it deep into the record and I don't know why that's the point of her like I think this was supposed to be an artistic dive she wanted to like you know put in these like soca beats and like do dance hall stuff and like you know where she plays like you know the kids rapping over like a didgeridoo and like you know she just I think she's like I want to give a shout out for all the incredible music in this world that the mainstream just ignores because like this is not clean as you said unintelligible mm-hmm. and like not 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 radio worthy but it's so good yeah like, I she's know like, Fuck this this is the stuff I like you know she is maybe that DJ who plays songs for herself and yeah. will clear out the whole room and does not give a fuck. Do you know what I mean? And will return everybody's cover. Like, maybe that's her thing. And I, I live for it. I love it. Like, Diplo's like, let's do this. This will be so good. Let's package it. And she's like, actually, it's too shiny for me. Let's put it deep. And I like this other stuff. I like this mm-hmm. grittier stuff. When you say all that, I think of FKA Twigs at this oh, point. Oh, yeah. You I know, see. with yeah, yeah. like, she easily, way earlier in her career, could have just had really fucking pretty full-on pop songs instead everything is so deranged so deranged and so cut up and fucked up and bizarre and twisted that it's taken her entire career until now to start giving people the kind of more subtle or vulnerable side of her yeah she fascinates me yeah definitely on the radar too also another uh english expat into the world but that just goes to show you like you should always be doing what you like and i've seen this with so many artists talking about that if you're doing what you like that's when you're going to be doing your best work and if you're doing something other people like then it's just it's it's never as good so it just makes sense man be you do you boo i agree none of us have ever been famous well yeah we've never had record contracts and like i mean like major she's on interscope records yeah, we're all saying that from an outside perspective. Like, yeah, I'm still going to make the my the music that I want to make because no one's put any pressure on me not to because I'm never going to be famous. So it's hard to know what, what any of us would do it's so once true. we're famous enough and someone starts dangling the bigger carrot in front of our faces, you know? And some artists keep doing their own amazing thing and that's, incredible and i completely agree that's what they should do but a lot of artists don't know when to take the carrot and don't know when to say i i'm not doing what you're asking me to do but i also think like it's exactly what you're saying you know we don't know what it's like at that level and so number one again i'll bring up the point that i don't think mia ever expected this she put music out in the world and then it just happened which is very very rare it's very rare for anyone to get famous there's other people who have been trying and trying and trying and want that fame and want that success and when they're there they don't want to lose it but at the same time when you're at that level this is the other point is that you've got so many people around you that you're taking care of now like that are employed by you who are relying on your success management agents publicists you name it, like all these people trickling down the line, roadies, like everybody on your tour crew, 
they're all expecting this paycheck. And then all of a sudden you just say, well, I don't want to do this. I want to do that. You're disappointing a lot of people and there's going to be a lot of pressure on you. So that's why people might just keep pushing crap out into the world because they just got to keep people on the payroll. And it's not about the like selling out factor. It's about keeping your people employed. Yeah. I'm more delicate with her than a lot of other people are because I've seen in the press over the years since I fell in love with her in 2005, like, you know, just eviscerate her. My one friend called her, oh God, publicity poison or something. Oh, he gave her a horrible name because <laughs> yeah, because she was like, oh, they're like, oh God, Kavita, like she's, her music's amazing. I love her, but God, she's like fucking poison essentially because she doesn't play ball or whatever. And I'm like, mm-hmm. I don't know about her. Yeah, I root for her really, really hard because I just, I just, I, I can, I can relate and I can resonate and I can't, I can't imagine what it's like to stay true to yourself in this maelstrom of like fame and like tradition and culture and being of two cultures. You know what I mean? It's a lot. It's a lot. Do you guys think reading this article that there was a little bit of put on that MIA was kind of fucking with this article a little bit? Do you think that MIA is actually tone deaf? She says in this article that she's tone deaf. And I want to know what degrees of tone deafness there are, because I've heard this. Now, I'm going to say this. I've heard MIA sing acapella. I saw her at a club in Toronto, and it was like a special thing for uh, Canadian Music Week, and her sound system went out, and she sang Bad Girls acapella, and she wasn't that bad. Now, I mean, obviously, you can put effects. You can do anything. I can hear auto-tune on these records. And I also think that MIA isn't a very strong singer, which is what makes her unique. Now, I love, uh, you know, people who don't have a traditional voice like Stephen Malcolmus, and that's what makes them really unique. But I don't think MIA is as tone deaf as she says she is. (laughs) What do you think, listening to these records? I think, as a a singer, I think so many people... think that they're tone deaf um but really they're just not mariah carey (laughs) you know like she can carry a tune you can hear it on the records she's uh incredibly like rhythmically apt she understands music very 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 well so even if she can't like um sing in perfect pitch somewhere over the rainbow that doesn't mean that she doesn't still have like a voice that has some range for sure. I think it's just funny. People use the word tone deaf uh, in this like, um, you know, way to like be self deprecating. But okay. uh, I, I don't think most of the people who say they're tone deaf are actually, and I quote, tone deaf. <laughs> okay. Uh, I'm as someone who says that they're tone deaf, I, I think I am because, because we, I can't, yeah, I can't hit the notes like someone like, uh, someone more musical. I can't do harmonies and stuff. And here's the thing, MIA and I, like I sent you that, uh, that Johnny disco video. Yes. I sent that to you guys. Please watch it. I did. Here's the thing. We, it, right. Oh my God. Right. Like they're so good. And there's so much call and response, but the guy can sing. Like, here's the thing. We grow up on Bollywood movies and listen to Bollywood music where these people can sing and they have these crazy octave ranges. And it's like, 
yeah like it's it, we come from a like a culture a deep rich culture that has has its own system of music so i think you know maybe we're holding ourselves to that cultural standard and we're like oh we're tone deaf we cannot sing like them <laughs> sure kavita can you give context why you sent that video because in the article i think they refer to that that yes. like when she was a little girl she had to sing for money and and she and there's a, a very famous like indian movie called disco dancer and i remember watching this when i was little in malaysia like i think it would be like saturday or sunday nights they would just show a bollywood movie on one of the three television stations and like everyone would get together and be like okay this is what we're watching and this was so catchy it's like everyone was constantly singing johnny disco dancer song and when they they reference it in this and this book because she remembers that song and used to sing that song and in the film this johnny disco dancer guy was poor and used to sing for money so it's like full circle oh my god oh okay right on. yeah right so it's like it's catchy as hell that cat can sing so there we go and also the 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 second part to that movie the other song jimmy that's like a direct lift for the song jimmy on the exactly. on the on the album so it's like very, very heavily like sampled and like the hook and everything is Jimmy Aja. <laughs> yeah, Jimmy Aja means come. Aja means come. So like come here. Yeah. So it's yeah. So it's like you can see she's she's rooted in this stuff. Like we are like whether we you know grew up there or grew up here or whatever. It's like our family. We're watching. This is the cult. This is the culture that they you know, consumed and they took in and was important and they thought was relevant and they thought that these people are what is talented. Like, this is what mm. singing sounds like. This is what dancing looks like. Like, Jesse's like, rhythmic, completely rhythmic. Oh For my sure. God, of course. It's like, in the doc, watch it. You see her with like a little short, like boy haircut dancing at like a family party with all of her Tamil uncles. And I'm like, yep, I can relate. Like, I have been in that situation where it's like, yeah, we teach kids how to dance early on because like yeah it's a bit it's a big part of indian and sri lankan culture tamil culture too so yeah lucky we yeah. were all irish dancers <laughs> hey that highland yeah. stuff is no effing around girl that is like irish, irish dancing <laughs> i mean it's rhythmic i guess if you like uh if you like things in three or four and putting your arms to your side so that you can't actually have any fun yeah smiling but lots of smiling big smiles yeah big smiles big wigs <laughs> oh my god but yeah so yeah it's dope I, I i think she's amazing and uh and super cool and uh i'm just gonna i, I could go on and on I, i'm gonna love her forever the end. oh yeah she's awesome she's yeah. awesome and i can't wait to take a deeper dive um after this this is like a like a really good reminder to uh pay homage to some of the pre-fk twigs of this world all right last but not least who do you think is number one on the billboard charts this is this week no ending you usually Dis do a lead up yeah and no no, no 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 okay guys. are we gonna do like a yes. top 10 top yes you ruined it you spoiled it right off i just that's just my intro guys we're gonna go through a list okay 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 <laughs> now i usually kind of pick so this is weekending december 20th 2008 
uh, there wasn't a lot of great stuff that I have kind of started just uh, picking and choosing what I actually want to say. I usually, you know, hit the top 20 and usually 20 to 10, you know, I kind of pick who I want to say and like just leave the people who I don't care about or don't even know. I'm just doing mm-hmm. the top 10 right now because it's actually uh, a really good portrait of this time in 2008. Uh, Nickelback is on this list. They were somewhere in the 20s. I have to mention them because I have not done one podcast about the 2000s where Nickelback was not on the Billboard charts. They are. That's amazing. I just, Ooh. you cannot fathom how big and popular this band Look is. Look at that photograph. So I had to mention them, but I'm going to start at number 10. Number 10, David Cook. I didn't even look this guy up because I don't know who the hell he is. (laughs) David Cook? There's a picture of him on an album. He is just a guy in a bomber jacket. Uh, Just, you could not ask for a less rock star name, less rock star person. I have no clue who this person is. Is is this song or a whole record? This is a whole record. This is records. Mm -hmm. This is the Billboard 200. David Cook. Okay, maybe Kavita, you can guess this because you've been on before. Number nine, what is on every top 10 list of every Billboard chart? Beyonce. No, it's a various artists. A vi- oh, is it a, what, like a dance mix? It's now 29. Oh, there no. We go. <laughs> there we go. <sighs> it's there never, go. never not in the top 10. It's Are often, you- often number one. Oh yeah, this is like the this is what people who don't know music but think yeah. it's okay or like it or like whatever. This is what they buy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, this is a nice mix to put on. Yes, it's end of yeah, yeah, yeah. You got it. Yeah. Number eight. Okay, talk about a amazing portrait of two thousand eight, friends. Number eight. It's a soundtrack to a gigantic movie. So now this is going to be a soundtrack that's probably going to be bought by a lot of teenagers. 2008. Is it a high school musical one? It is it's not. It is not. Mm, Harold and Kumar? No. Bought by a lot of teenagers. It feels like. Oh, God. And it's not Pineapple Express. It is not. Uh, this is a. Okay. This. <laughs> This is a movie you, you would never even, you probably would never even like consider the soundtrack, but I will say this, there's vampires in it. Oh, Twilight. Yes. Twilight? The Twilight soundtrack is, is a, number eight. I've not seen any of these uh, sparkly <laughs> vampires. I've never seen any of these day walking crap. Oh, no way. Not well, no, me. but they're so hot though. And <laughs> so I'm, oh, vampires. I'm an extreme fan of Robert Pattinson and ah. Kristen Stewart. Oh, right uh, on. I want to fuck them both. So many people are. I'm the I'm the outlier here, guys. I'm the outlier. Oh, I hate. I don't want to see them as Twilight. Otherwise, <laughs> I won't want to have sex with them. But I want to have sex with them outside. You of want to see them as sparkly vampires and that werewolf thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. I don't. No, want to no werewolves. Them. Okay, all right. No, no. Well, I don't want to see them as vampires either. I just know they're hot. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> okay, number seven. I lied. They're not in the top twenty. I did notice this. It's Dark Horse by Nickelback. <laughs> they're in the top 10 of course that fucking rocks yeah they're what i like to call traditional men's music (laughs) men's warehouse music 
Number six, um, a band who had a gigantic record was one of the biggest bands of the 2000s. Big radio band. A the band. Coldplay. Nope. A the band, Jesse. The band. Brokes? Brokes? Nope. The Killers Day and Age. Ooh. Oh, definitely. I've seen the Killers live. Yeah, you know me what? too. They rocked. Yeah, I saw they them rocked. at V-Fest. Awesome. I remember we could have gone to them at Mod Club, where I was working one time. They gave us tickets, and I didn't go, because I didn't care. <laughs> they were the new band, and I didn't even know them. I was like, no, Somebody I'm good. Told me yeah, I hated that song. Yeah. There was a couple. Uh, there was another song on that record that I liked, another one of the commercial songs. But that song that somebody told me, I looked, that was a really bad song. I never my liked it. Back just to know your name. <laughs> um, my, Are you really so my least favorite song of all time, uh, basically, even more than Nickelback, maybe, is Mr. Brightside. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Uh, and it's only, you know what, it's not that I don't think it's an a amazing commercial hit, because it totally is. And seeing them live and seeing them play, it was so fun. But karaoke has destroyed it because that's the wor- that's one of the worst group of white guys songs. Uh, <laughs> wow, guys who think wow. that they're into like indie music, but they're college exactly. bros. Yeah, exactly. College bros. Mm-hmm. College. Young college bros. For sure. Something like the Beatles or Oasis would uh, would actually be tasteful sure potentially absolutely or or funny yeah but mr brightside is neither it's it's like they're taking it it's self-serious in a weird way i like nickelback yeah well but nobody sings nickelback at karaoke no well not at the karaoke i ever go to not the ones we go to yeah no 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 i'm only talking about yeah i'm talking about like our yeah. Yeah. Downtown Toronto karaoke. <laughs> yeah, that's not happening there. But outskirts. Yeah. yeah. Oh, there's a lot there's of Nickelback. You can't keep hey, them it's up. The top ten. Yeah, I know. Okay, guys. Um, getting into the five through one here, we've got the murderers row of uh, 2008 artists. Oh, Number shit. five is Theater of the Mind by Ludacris. Oh. Wow. Ludacris still I'm going. Yeah. He's fast. <laughs> He's furious. <laughs> He's ludicrous. Number four. Okay. How do I? Number four, just fucking gigantic female artist. Go for it. It's not Beyonce? It is Beyonce. <laughs> I am Sasha Fierce, Beyonce. Oh, yeah. That's okay. See, the aughts was her thing. That's when she broke away from Destiny's Child and mm-hmm. she was starting to... Yeah, and if this is like... If this is uh, Obama, this is she sang at the inauguration, oh, right? She's going, it's December. She's poised. Oh, wow. January, was, yeah. right? It's she would have been a month away from that. January. He's the incarnate. So America's feeling, you know, exuberant. They're feeling up, if you yeah. will. Number three, this record was a highly anticipated record for, I'd say, uh, we're at 2008. I'm going to do the math here, uh, like 15, 16 years, uh, <laughs> a band that uh, everybody was, a band that kept teasing that this record would come out someday. And then it finally came out in 2008. It's at number I'm just three. Gonna, 
I'm only because I want it to be Portishead as number two. I'm just going to say that, but it's not. But we're just going to go ahead and say, obviously, we're all just waiting for Portishead's third. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Great. And that was teasing an album for a really long time. A gigantic band, Kavita. I mean, gigantic, gigantic band. band. Gigantic. Guns and Roses. You are correct, Jesse. Chinese democracy. Chinese democracy came out to less acclaim than it has on the charts. (laughs) One of the worst records of all time. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, because just the very fact that you're saying that means that, thankfully, you have not heard it. Never heard of it. I would never in a million years have guessed Guns N' Roses. I'll be honest with you. I would never have guessed that. Think of a record that took like 15 years to come out that you just kept working on and like toiling over oh, yeah, and going back and yeah. forth and to like and just ruining. just like spans complete like different eras at that point how good Man, could it possibly be kids, multiple marriages divorces rehab oh yeah multiple yeah. rehabs for sure oh, rehabs. i actually met axel rose right around this time i got oh, no yeah I got to meet him just quickly. He told me, he told, I, I would have, I honestly would have like sat and listened to this guy tell stories all night because it's Axl Rose. I would have just wow. loved some rock yeah. stories. Wow, that's he, cool. His, that is very cool. I, I caught one story and the only story was about that he got to sleep with Michelle Pfeiffer. <laughs> that rocks. Hey, what <laughs> Which, a piece. Yeah. What a piece. It was literally, the story, the story he told was that it was literally him and his entourage and her and her entourage at separate tables at, you know, probably the Chateau Marmont or something. And literally their people went and talked to each other and said, Hey, would you like to come over and sit with like Axel? And then the, that person asked her and then she agreed. And then she came over and sat with him and he goes, and then like a half an hour later, we were in a hotel room. <laughs> wow. Bravo. Bravo. Just two famous people were like, yeah, we'll, we'll go for it. Like, I would like to get laid today. Absolutely. Uh, are we on the same class level? Yes. Yeah. Good. Great. Okay. Are you of the same caliber as I yeah. am? Same yeah. status? Great. Yeah. Let us sex. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Number two, same same level of female artist as uh, as Beyonce, but white. This is her second record. Beyonce, but white. <laughs> okay, it's not it's not an R and B singer, but white. I'm saying fame level. This person is still uber uber famous, and this was like the beginning of her uber fame. Oh, Katy Perry. Nope. What? Oh. You're getting close. You're on this. You're on the same level, even bigger than Katy Perry. That's not possible. Is it Taylor Swift? I Fearless. Taylor Swift. Taylor Swift. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't want to give her the credit. Fearless by Taylor it. Swift. Damn it. Honestly, I feel like for a lot of time, yeah. I feel like for a lot of time, Katy Perry was more famous than Taylor Swift. At mm-hmm. this time, she would have been. In 2008, yeah. I would agree with you. She would have been. She would have been bigger. I guess I'm thinking now in the stratosphere of Taylor Swift. Oh, she is Got definitely. Yeah. yeah. Katy Perry had a baby. She had a baby. She's taking a break. You know? Sure. Yeah. And I think it was maybe two or three years ago when Taylor Swift was on track to make a million dollars a week touring, she was going to like on track to make $52 million in a year, million dollars a week. (laughs) Net or gross? I don't know. Still, that's a lot of, I don't think she got to take it home. She would have had to pay out the, the, the crew, but yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah, that's that's the kind of money we're dealing with now with artists. Wow, 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 wow. All right, friends. Who wants to guess number one? This oh is my obviously God. this I, is obviously a number nothing. one artist. I mean, obviously it could be anyone, but yeah, but you this... got to give us some, oh. just a little taste. Of course. So as I said, this was like Murderer's Row of 2008. We have Beyonce, we have Taylor Swift. This is a hip hop artist, a very very big hip hop artist who is still going today. Uh, for for better or for worse. <laughs> still going today, for better or for the T-Pain. worse. Not T Pain. Oh. Wait, we're we're talking, yeah, like way bigger t- than T Pain is here, and this guy is space. You know, <laughs> like, oh, it's not Fifty Cent, is it? It's not Fifty Cent. Think but bigger. But in that caliber of like big, way bigger. Jay Z. Same caliber. Same caliber. Jay Z. I don't know a Kanye. It's Kanye. Which album? Eight oh eights and heartbreak. Yeah. The one that they talked about. I know. I literally had that written down on this piece of paper. And yeah. I still didn't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> ass music. Yeah, but do you remember I, the song Flashing Lights? Yeah. The song Flashing Lights. Oh, I I'm love that. That's my riff. favorite. That is one of my favorite songs. That was uh, Spike Jones directed that video. Do you remember that video? Oh, no, I don't. No. I know. The video is... I'm trying to... Like, this is little foggy you can obviously look it up it's a woman driving a car and then she pulls over and it's all sort of in like half speed and then she stops the car you know kind of in a remote area and gets out and goes around and opens the trunk and kanye is in the back tied up and like bound and gagged and then she starts beating him with a shovel what (laughs) it's fairly dark well and I think some people would now in this day and age would, you know, maybe they don't want to see that. I think they may have, may have wanted to see that a year or two ago, but yeah, that is dark. Yeah, there's commentary to that, though. Ugh. Yeah. Okay, yeah, guys. Goodbye. Okay, I'm out of here. I'm Love you. I'm Love you. Great to, great to talk to you, talk to you soon. But, uh, this is way too much fun. You, yeah, this was so much fun. We'll Let's do it again. Great. We'll do it again. I loved having you guys okay. on again. So it was really awesome to talk and we, we can do it again for sure.